Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather, and uh, joining me now one day early this week on a Thursday for the Pro Nola segment, I will be out tomorrow, is Gus Kattengill, Saints and Pelicans correspondent. We are um, hours away from the NFL draft round one, less than 12 hours away from tip-off at the Blender for game six between the Pelicans and Suns. What will we ever talk about? Gus, good morning, man. How are you? I got to give you credit, man. I should have looked ahead. It's very strategic of you to take off Friday so you don't have to deal with Saints fans losing their minds after the Saints use 16 and 19 to move up to get a quarterback at number five. Good job, Scott. Oof, boy, if really that smart. happens, I, really I I'm, well, I'm going to be on a retreat, <laughs> and I'm going to need the I'm going to need the spirit and God to help me through uh, that dark time in my life. If they do that, holy oh. cow! Here's the thing, though, bro. Don't like it's it a, it's supposed to start around 8:30 tonight, and I'm like, I I mean, look, that's I mean, the fourth quarter. He's on the line. I. What am I gonna? I'm gonna. I'm gonna gonna have to sneak the phone in there and like kind of. You know, I can't miss the end of the Pels game. But uh, we'll we'll get into the Pels in a little bit. I wanna wanna kick off with the Saints and please uh, tell me that that was just a cruel joke. I mean, you don't you don't actually think they're they're moving up to take a quarterback in a draft that the 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 big look the Daniel Jeremiah's the. The, the Mel Kuypers, what, what are they saying? They're saying, well, this, this draft is good, but it doesn't have as much hype because there's not as much top-tier quarterbacks at the top. The Saints aren't. They're not They're not actually going to do what you just suggested, are they? I honestly would be shocked. Oh, God. I would be shocked and, quite honestly, scared of the direction of the franchise if they actually do that. Like, I'm again. I'm that noted because everything – well, it would make me question, you know, my experience. And, and Scott, you you and I have known each other when we first started, man. And I just, from reading tea leaves to listening to sound bites to trying to logically conclude by putting this and that together that just makes sense. And when I do all of that, I just don't see it happening. And, you know, to quickly go through it, you, you go to listen to what, everybody's kind of said from the beginning to really now in terms of people that I trust are kind of, you know, can, can make a correlation to. And, you know, my thing is I understand them going and seeing about Deshaun Watson. That's Deshaun Watson. That's not, you know, Malik Willis, who everybody says is two, three years away from being a starter. Can he take it to the most ready of them all? It doesn't mean that he's Pat Mahomes. And, it just boils down to me with this before I even get to whether or not I want them. If I want them, then I'm believing that there currently are or going to be better than Jameis Winston. So I got to look at what Jameis does. And Jameis is tall. He's got an arm. He's got mobility. He's got command of the huddle. He's got his team and his locker room. All I mean, he's got a lot of things that, you're going to hope that this quarterback has. And I just don't see it in, in any of those other guys right now at the time where you are, if you're Carolina, you're Atlanta, looking for identity, looking to start over and, and try to build around something, absolutely makes a ton of sense. But that's my point. I still don't buy Carolina passes up on a quarterback. 
And if that's the case, that means you got to go to five. So you're telling me at five, you're going to go get Pickett or Willis? I, I, I just can't logically see that. Cam Jordan two weeks ago on ESPN, you know, saying that his expectation level is a 13-1 season because that's what he thought they were last year. That's with Jameis Winston. That's not with a rookie quarterback or two spots in the draft that can get you two starters. Like, that, that just doesn't make sense because that's where you are at 16 and 19. This draft is deep enough at two areas, thankfully, that you probably need, and that's offensive line and receiver. And when you start looking at, I think, the season of disinformation, and there's always a two- or three-week period, Scott, where teams are going to do their best using sources, using their reporters that they're friendly with to talk about, man, I really like this player or that player, to kind of throw off different scents because they don't want other teams to know or think that they like certain players. And I think that's the thing that you're kind of getting right now with the Saints in, in, in this quarter. I think maybe they're hoping that a team or two jumps them, tries to take a quarterback, and a player can, can fall to them. Mickey Loomis to Peter King two Mondays ago. He thinks at 49, 49, they'll get somebody in their top 20 or top 25. That's, that's a pretty good pick. I've said it before, I, 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 there's a certain offensive lineman that I like from Wake Forest and Zach Tom, highest RES score ever. He got a perfect score um, as a center, but he's played left tackle in the last two years. But he was a center over at Wake Forest in 2019. So at 16 and 19, you can get a starter at receiver and at tackle. I really honestly believe that if everything falls down, you saw Maurice Jones-Drew last Friday in a mock draft. He has the Saints using 16 and 19 to move up to 10 for the Jets to get Matt Corral, which is just silly because he's going to be there at 19. You wouldn't need to go up to 10. What, what, what I figured really as well, too, and I know you've always said it, just trust your local guys. And, and, and I mean, I'm watching Ian Rappaport and Tom Palesero yesterday, and they're doing a live hit on NFL Network around 2 o'clock during the show. And I just potted it up. And there they are, literally talking about, could the Saints take a quarterback in this draft? And it was, it was like hearsay. It was like watching the Johnny Depp trials on TikTok. I mean, it's just, well, you know, they, they, they did sign Jameis, but it's just two years. And, you know, they, they could go for a quarterback. But is it this guy? Is it that? They don't know anything. They're literally just saying, well, they could. Yeah, so could anyone else. I just, it's crazy. Because it's starting to get to the point, Scott, where it's starting to make sense that they, they won't. Like, it, it's in front of you if you look at it. And Charles Davis, I respect him. I like what he does. He put out a, a mock draft, what was this, uh, when, uh, Wednesday, on Wednesday morning, like at 8 o'clock. It was his latest mock draft. And I actually think it's how I think it's going to go. I don't think that teams really feel as strongly about these quarterbacks, even though they need them, as it's going to go. He does not have Carolina going with the quarterbacks, an offensive lineman. He does not have the Falcons going with the quarterback. It's a defensive lineman. He has the Saints at 16 going with Trevor Penning. And then at 19, Chris Olave's there. And they take him. Makes sense. I think that's exactly what I would do and exactly what makes sense and exactly what this team needs. You take the best offensive lineman because it's harder to get. You've said that, Scott. You're paying. 
when you're drafting or you're overpaying for your starting left tackle, that guy is one of the good ones. If you can get him, I mean, you are. And then you'll risk um, what what happens there at 18. But here's the thing. In that mock draft, the first of the two Eagles picks, they go with Jamison Williams. So they get their receiver. So, you know, at 18, they're not going to. So if you're the Saints, when you're picking at 16, if that were to happen and the Eagles go receiver, I mean, you could probably submit two cards at once. Yeah, <laughs> because the Chargers aren't going to take it. But then it's a matter of does someone move up? to 18 and, and right. all of that. But at the same time, sure. it's a really deep draft for receivers, so it's unlikely. So to your point, you know, the fact that your picks are close together, you've definitely got um, some strategy involved there. But but with that strategy, you know, and, and projecting, you know, using it to project a mock draft, the reality is nothing is more inaccurate in sports every year than a mock draft. Like, they have the you know million, hundred million, billion dollar contest every year to pick the perfect bracket, right? In March Madness, it's a, it's you try picking a, a perfect first round. It's impossible. It's never going to happen. I mean, people rip on Mel Kiper every year because you know it's it's I guess it's funny at times, but oh my God, he he only got twenty two uh, or he got twenty two. He got twenty three picks wrong. He only got eight or nine first round picks right, and then. Go start comparing that to the other mock drafts, and you realize, wow, actually, he, he probably actually predicted the most correct ones. But you remember the misses most. The reality is, like all of the mock drafts, you don't. There's not even a there's not even a consensus number one in this one, which a lot of seasons there are. You don't even know who the number one. Like as as unpredictable as drafts are, Gus, and particularly first round drafts. Dare I say this one might? This is the most unpredictable one we've seen in years because. You, there, there's there's a lot of debate about the two quarterbacks that may go in the first round and high high some have them going in the back 20s others have them going at five or six like every mock draft is vastly different there's smoke screens all over the place I get why they do mock drafts but at this point it, wouldn't it be better just to have a big board Instead, mock drafts are clickable. It's what people like. But wouldn't it make more sense just to have a big board of, okay, here's how I rank all the players? Because that makes more sense because none of these mock drafts are going to come even close to being correct. Go back and look at the big draft pundits comes and see, or shoot, come Friday morning, just the first round, and see how many picks they actually predicted correct. I bet you the majority of them, you're looking at like maybe four, maybe four picks. And I'm not talking about right before the pick is made. I'm talking about what their mock drafts say today. One trade, one player they didn't see coming. It shakes up everything, man. And and I, I guess that's what I like about the draft, the unpredictability of it. But mock drafts just I, – I, I'm going to read them every year, and I'm also going to know, look, I, I'm, just, I'm just wasting my time because this isn't going to happen. Yeah. Um, it also kind of gives you an idea, though, of where maybe some players, to your point, like a big board – um, are kind of arranged or, or where they're going to be, right? I mean, like, let's be honest. Uh, unless those things happen or take place, how many people legitimately know that Trevor Penning was one of the top linemen or he's the third, fourth, you know, lineman available, sure, things sure. of that nature? So, you know, I do think, like, to your point, that makes sense. You know, you have those big boards or something of that nature to kind of know. And when you do look at, you know, player rankings, uh, to your point, Scott, they don't have, you know, um, 
those quarterbacks ranked high, man. I mean, and that's that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, like I said, it, it's I think it's where you are as an organization and what you kind of need and in the value. I mean, like I said, I I like Corral. Um, and if Pickett or Corral is there, you know, at at 19, fine. You know, like, no. I, you're not doing no. five. Like, no. no, no, I hear you. <laughs> don't I still say that. would not like it. I still don't. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm not his agent. I promise. I just, I don't see why so many people are so quick to not buy that Jameis Winston can play in the fleet. Right. And, you know, I just, I, I'm, I don't understand it. it. I mean, it's not like, and again, I'm not being disrespectful, but it's not like watching Taysom Hill, you know, <laughs> and, and going, okay, you, you know there's going to be limitations. You see a ceiling, and he's hitting that, it, yeah, you know, and, and you're like, this is about as good as you're going to get right here. And with Jameis, who knows? No, I mean, it, 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 the Saints are going to do best player available. That's one thing, I think, even with the new coach, that's going to remain the same unless maybe it's a running back, even though they need a running back, but they're not going to have a running back with a first round grade. Anyway, my point is like they're, they're, they're going to take BPA and um, if it's quarterback, I guess they do it. I hope not, but you know, old lineman receivers, they just, they need a lot of offense here and, and, and so much focus is going to be on what they do tonight, but they've got four picks in the top 98. They have three picks in the top 49. It's, it's about this draft as a whole. Because in 2017, Lattimore, Ramchek, oh, Ramchek, I wish it had been Reuben Foster. The Niners, they stole one. Had he got ahead of the Saints, all shucks. No, it worked out pretty dang good. I don't even know where Reuben Foster is right now, but Ramchek is, you know, a multi-time all-pro uh, on the right side and, and one of the best tackles in the league. And, of course, Marshawn, not Patrick Mahomes. Chiefs jumped ahead of him, but, uh, you know, one of the best corners in the league. But it's that entire draft you look back at as a whole, right? Um, I don't think the Saints are duplicating that over the next couple of days because I don't think you can just duplicate one of the greatest things you've ever done in your career, which for no. the scouts and, and the evaluators and the GM, that's what they did. But if you can hit you know, a home run, a couple doubles, a couple singles, maybe you strike out once or, or fly out once, that's fine with me, right? you got to... The batting average needs to be high in this draft, and, it, and in my opinion, it needs to be high on the offensive side of the football because Saints have good special teams. Saints have a good defense. The Saints offense was not good last year. I get it. Injuries, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't good, and you have done nothing in the offseason to improve it yet. That needs to take place tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday. You know, and to your point, I, I, you know, I think we've talked about it on our show as well, too. You know, 17, obviously, I mean, you look at what that standard was. But, you know, Scott, I, I'd settle for last year's draft. I mean, let's not forget what you got last year. And essentially, you found your second cornerback, which was, as you know, Scott, going into last season, a massive topic, right? Who's going to start opposite of Marshawn Lattimore? Who's that guy? Well, you found that person. And then you find a guy at linebacker and Pete Werner that, um, Scott, I don't think they're signing, resigning Quan Alexander. You know? So yeah. Yeah. you found two starters there. I think Peyton Turner flashed, man. He just got injured. And if you do that, we could be maybe talking, Scott, about a 17 like draft because 
if Turner becomes a starter, same house, you know, Cam Jordan becomes a dominant defensive end, Pete Werner is a starting middle linebacker for five to seven years, Paulson and Debo turns out to be one of the better corners in the league, or at least for the very least your second starter uh, going into a second contract. Well, that's three right there. I mean, that's three right there. I even got to the other, you know, guys in that draft. So I think that's why when you came on our show and I've been saying it on yours, to just kind of trust, I guess, what Jeff Ireland have done. They've done better than not, I guess, in a lot of instances on different things. And um, the good thing about it is that the positions and levels that you sort of need players right now, it's a deep draft. So at least, again, to your point, what the big boards are and um, what will be available. Look, it's inaccurate. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's right. Gus Cagliar, our guest. Great Scott show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Gus, on that note, final thing on the draft. You said it's inaccurate. So let's let's each give one prediction that's probably doomed to fail um, because the margin for error is, um, well, extremely, you know, it's it's, it's extremely near. I mean, you're, the odds of hitting this are not great. My bold prediction is that the Saints with – Will not they will not move up? They'll stay put with one of their two first round picks tonight. They're going to select Jordan Davis, three hundred forty pound D tackle out of Georgia. Oh my God, Jonathan Sullivan or Geno Atkins, right? Stop thinking about past Georgia players. Think about him in the present. An absolute freak. The versatility, the agility. He can get after the passer. He can be a stopgap in the middle. His tape jumps out. I think as much as I was just saying that they need to go offense, and and actually I hope they do go offense. For the record. My bold prediction that's doomed to fail is that uh, Jordan Davis falls to the Saints with one of those two picks and they take him. Give me a bold prediction that maybe is doomed to fail, Gus, or maybe you're super confident about it. Either way. Oh, man. I haven't even thought about bold predictions in terms of where they would go. Maybe I say they surprise some folks and maybe take a safety at 16 and 19. I guess maybe that might be a bold prediction. I mean, I know there's one or two that – has been sort of mentioned. I still think that's something you could probably get at 49. Um, and we've also seen the Saints move up in the second round if yeah. they target, yep. you know, with somebody to do so. I just, shot for the life of me, I just cannot see this team deviate from that, which probably means they will. They'll probably not take any of the players that I think they're going to get at 16 and 19. <laughs> ESPN Live, you had the best ticket in sports. That is Gus Cattengill. I am Scott Prather. We're going to take a quick timeout when we come back. Pelican Suns, game six tonight, the third elimination game of the season for New Orleans. Can they push this thing to seven? What's the key? What's the buzz? We're digging in all of it next right here. It's the Great Scott Show on a Thursday. Pro Nola segment one day early this week. I'll be out tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. We're right back right after this.
Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Gus Cattengill, our guest. We talked all about the NFL Draft Round 1. You can hear that tonight on our airwaves. Coverage starts at 6. It's going to be a long night in Vegas. They're expecting record numbers to show up. A sellout crowd tonight, though, at the Blender, the Smoothie King Center. And Gus... I guess my first question for you about tonight's game six is you're in New Orleans. We just talked about the draft. The Saints have two first-round picks, but this this pesky fight fighting Pelicans team on the brink of elimination, giving the one seed all they want at home. The atmosphere of the blender has been electric as of late is the buzz right now in New Orleans? Uh, I could say here it's mixed, right? You've got other sports here too. and But is the buzz there more Saints-centric with the draft or is it more Pelican-centric with the playoff game tonight? Dude, it's crazy. So I would tell you that the draft is second this week. At least it was going into the game on Tuesday. If they would have won, I don't think it would have been close to what, you know, today and tonight's excitement level sort of is. But I had a bump guess, Scott, Tuesday, because the phone lines just would not stop, dude, with Pelicans fans' confidence level that they were going to win that game. Um, Talking about the team, talking about the emotion – how excited they were now as opposed to where they have been and the future. And I mean, I haven't heard that dude. Even when CP was here, when AD seemed to be a guy that you could build around all of that, it's been incredible. And again, don't take my word for it. John DeShazer, who works for the Saints, you know, writes for them on Saints.com and is a color analyst for the Pelicans. We had him on. Tuesday, he said that in his mind, the draft was second, dwarfed by comparison of the opinion and and what's asking him and talking about and everything else. And he thinks it's not that obviously the pills have passed the same. It's you know right, one just this moment more immediate right. than the other. Right. Right. Exactly. That game could have been for a closeout you know, one way or shape or form that, you know, it's the immediacy of it. You still have three other days, two other days, but the draft is a total of three. Those draft picks, you know, you're not really going to see what their impact is until September when the season comes. So, you know, he makes a lot of good points where, you know, game six is about two and a half hours. That's it. That's, that's what it is. It's, you know, 48 minutes. That's it. Whereas with the draft, you're going to have, Scott, as you know, and I know, we're going to talk about it next week, May. And, and it's, it's a podium, <laughs> right? You can, you can follow yeah, exactly. it. You can follow it. Remo- I mean, that's right. the way it should be. Um, but I right. know the last time this franchise had a playoff game the same day as the draft, uh, it was in 2009. The New Orleans Hornets were playing an early game against the Denver Nuggets, who ended up absolutely destroying them in game four. Everyone remembers the 58-point loss. But in game three, the, the, the New Orleans Hornets actually won the game. 
Uh, Sean Marks, the uh, GM of the Nets, was you know uh, having a big game for the Hornets that day, and they barely got by. And it was you know it wasn't the best of seasons, but that was back when the draft started. You know you had half of it day one, more than half. It started at ten a.m. Saints took Malcolm Jenkins, and that there was there was more buzz about the Saints, and this was. You know, to that point in time, Gus, the Saints had only won two Super Bowls ever. Excuse me, two Super Bowls. They had won a Super Bowl. Two playoff games ever at that moment in time. They went on to win the Super Bowl that season. My point is, both franchises were in a different place, but it was still far and away. It was the draft. It was the draft. It was the draft. And, oh, yeah, the Hornets, they have a playoff game today. And, look, the the the, the, the New Orleans Arena is what it was called at the time. It was... It was loud, and the fans were into it, but it wasn't just the – this Pelicans team, it's not just the fans that you know are there and are going to be there no matter what. It's sort of the whole area, the buzz around the team, the narrative changing nationally from what a lot of folks have been saying about the team locally. So that's the way it should be. It's an elimination game against a one seed in a series where no team has won two games in a row. And the Pelicans are at home, and their backs are against the wall. And you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to force a game seven, Gus. But I tell you what, I like their chances. I don't know if I like their chances in a game seven, but it should be, it should be the number one story as far as sports go in the state tonight. Because the Saints two draft picks, you're going to hear about it. You're going to read about it. You're going to have tons of time to dissect it. But the game. This isn't the Pelicans going up against the Saints who are playing. This is the Pelicans going up, uh, going up against the NFL draft from an interest standpoint. And dare I say, Gus, if you had told us even a month ago, yeah, the Pels will be in the postseason, but they're going to have a game the same night as the NFL draft. I think you and I both would have said even a month ago, we're following more close, but yeah, most of the attention is probably going to be on what the Saints do in the draft. Tons of attention is on it, Gus. But the Pelicans, I think it goes to show you that in the last month of what they've done and that connection that they've made with the fan base and with more fans, that, that that it is a step ahead of the draft in terms of interest. And maybe not for everybody listening, and Gus is only speaking from you know, what he's seeing. I'm speaking from what I'm hearing. And you talk to John DeShazer, and he works for both of the franchises. It seems like in the last month, you've seen that connection made. There's no denying it, regardless of what happens, if the season ends tonight or not. That connection's been made, and we've said it. feels like it, it's sustainable. It doesn't feel like it's going to be lost, and that's a beautiful thing. We'll see what happens tonight, but the fact that the interest is there ahead of the draft I think is very telling about the strides the franchise has made, not just on the court but off of it in the last month. No doubt. Um and like I said, I think one of the things that you see, Scott, is an organic build, sort of like you saw in 2006. It was, you know, this team was a team that came back to win those early games. It was a team of misfits. You talk about the Saints, right? About, you know, guys that, that were castaways like Fujita and players like Lance Moore, who's diminutive, and you're like, who, who's this guy? And Eventually, you see what happens and how they build around that team. And But it started with the foundation, and I think that's kind of the thing we talked with a lot of the analysts this week, and that was how you have what looks like a pretty good foundation, a good, strong base set to kind of 
do things you need to do moving forward. And, you know, I, I do think it's organic, man. It's, it's easy to plaster on a building on the side of the arena one of those gigantic little fathead sticker-like things of Zion or a, a top player free agent acquisition or draft pick and tell people, this is the reason you should show up and watch the game and hope that that player performs. It's a complete other to have what we've seen right now. And what we've seen right now is the city fall for guys and follow guys that have earned it through their play, the underdog mentality, the ability to kind of outperform what I guess expectations were, right? I mean, from the second-round pick in Herb Jones to an undrafted guy in Alvarado, uh, those two guys are they're uberly popular right now, Scott. <laughs> I mean, uberly popular. And, you know, Alvarado didn't make – isn't making Willie Green's life easier, right? And even when you go back to game five where literally fans don't want Devontae Graham to play five seconds when plus five minutes. But it's hard to argue that case when literally every single time Alvarado's on the court, he makes an impact. He has some big threes to get the team close to the fourth. He gets that eight-second violation again on Chris Paul, who then gets a technical foul because he's frustrated. I mean, but that reminds me of, you know, Pierre Thomas and Moore and not only Fujita, but, you know, Shanley and other guys on the scene that just, they, they kind of, one year Marcus Colston, you know. What exactly? No, Colston too. You're right. I mean, it's crazy. I didn't even think about him because I thought he was such a big star, but he needs to sound for drafting. So, I think that's what you're seeing, and I do think there's an interesting sort of pause right now. I wouldn't say a reset. I wouldn't say a lack of confidence because I think Saints fans are always going to be diehards no matter what, and there's a. 100%. Overwhelming that you believe that they can do stuff, but at the same time, I do think that there is a sense of, well, let's see how the Dennis Allen thing is going to sort of go. And look, there's, and again, I, I'm I, I'm glad you said it too, Scott, to to the way you said it. Not choosing to be a Pelicans fan or a Saints fan. You're a New Orleans fan. You love the Pels. Louisiana sports fan, right? You so equally. You yeah, know, exactly. You're in I mean, Because when they first moved here, dude, for some reason that, that was the case. I, I don't understand it, but look, it was spurred on by ownership. You know, Tom Benson did everything he could when they first moved here to discourage businesses, to advertise with the Pelicans, to discourage, you know, fans, to – it was – if you don't – if you love the – the Hornets, you don't love the Saints. That has changed drastically, obviously, now 20 years, right, since they've gotten here, essentially. So to where you are now, where I, I just think in the city, you, you love this. I mean, I love this, right? I mean, I'm having to it's great. watch a game six. Well, and, 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 and you guys are the flagship station the for the Pelicans, too. Yeah. Right. But, but what I'm saying is, like, I'm you know, I'm watching the draft and, and the game at the same time, and I don't – God, when they're not doing well or you didn't have the NBA, you remember what it was like. I mean, you're, you know, doing what you do for that one to two week period in your movies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so 
Uh, I love this. I, I absolutely love it because by the time the draft in OTAs and minicamp ends, then it's going to be time for the NBA draft and NBA free agency. And that brings you right into the start of training camp, man. It's fantastic. And let me, um, yeah, absolutely all around. I want to correct myself from something I said earlier. I mentioned the last time the franchise had a playoff game the same day as the draft. As I'm thinking about it, actually, it wasn't the the win against the Nuggets. It was the loss to the Lakers. It was Game Six. Um, Chris Paul and and his last game in a New Orleans uniform. They lost in Game Six at home to the Lakers, uh, who went on and got swept in the next series by the Mavericks, who went on to win the title that year. But that year, the Saints had two first round picks. Now, didn't know it going in. They drafted Cam Jordan and then moved back in the first round and took a guy named Mark Ingram. Worked out pretty good for the Saints that night. Hopefully it works out for both teams tonight. Um, and, and, and we can close with that, Gus, as you look at this matchup. I know, you know, on Wednesday's show, I got some emails of people saying, you know, the Pelicans blew the game and this and that. And I'm like, look, Mikel Bridges had 31 points in 47 minutes. He had five boards. He had four blocks. Campaign played well. They had... Their role players played in a big way. The Pels got behind the eight ball early. Folks were talking about the refs, and the, the refs weren't turning the ball over a ton. The Pelicans were. The Suns beat them straight up. Now, game four, the Pelicans beat the Suns straight up. It's been back and forth. No team has won two consecutive games. I'll give you my key, and then I'll toss it back to you for yours as we wrap up this conversation. I was talking to Garrick Rattler the other day from Pels Pod about it. I think, again, I think the key when you look at how each of these games have played out is getting Valanchunas the ball early on offense, not because, you know, he's going to score, and he, he will. I mean, he's, he's had good stats in the series, but when they do that, it, it takes Aiton away from the goal, and it opens up more lanes. There's more offensive rebounds. There's more activity. It just feels like there's more ball movement. You know, Tuesday night, there were way too many times where there wasn't much ball movement. Guys are getting, you know, they can't they can't penetrate. They can't get it in the paint. They're settling for long twos or contested threes, and it's leading to long rebounds. Phoenix is getting out on a fast break, or it's leading to turnovers. Phoenix is getting out on a fast break. You know, get it, get it to Valanciunas early. I'm not saying do that for 48 minutes, okay? But I think when you start doing that on offense early, it opens more things up for Brandon Ingram. CJ McCollum has not had a great series. He needs to have a big game tonight. Get it to Valanciunas early. There are a lot of things the Pels need to do to extend this to game seven. But that, to me, is my big key. Give me your number one key, and then we'll let you run. Man, um, I would think, to your point, along your lines, I think if you start with – you could easily make that case for Valanciunas. I think it's the key. In games where he's been offensive and dominant, Pelicans have won, period. Um, he kind of came to life in the second half, but it was too little too late almost. Um, I think if he would have done that, maybe Bridges and all those other guys aren't hitting shots. I mean, look, Mikel Bridges had to have literally not only a career playoff and a career game for him, it literally is one of the top five playoff performances. Yeah. You know, ever. And you just so, have to tip your cap and say, look, we're not expecting that every game, but good for you. I mean, that's what uh, you got to tip your cap to him for it. I don't expect him to do that tonight. You, you have to give something up. You have to give something up if you want to stop eight and five. Right. And that's exactly what we talked about on Tuesday. You have to live with Cam Jordan, I mean, Cam Johnson, Cam Payne, and Mikel Bridges shooting and hitting shots. You have to live with it. Like, 
you saw Tuesday the real JaVel McGee, right? Not Wilt Chamberlain from games three and four we didn't miss. So you just, some nights you have to tip your cap. I mean, the guy made shots, you know? I mean, through four games, that dude was hitting the rim. He wasn't making any shots. Game five, 31. That guy hadn't hit 31. So you just have to chalk it up to that. And to your, I could probably make the case that there's more of the things that the Pels didn't do than what the Suns did do. Paul looked exhausted in that, uh, in that game five. He had a, a moment or two, and he had, look, 16 early points. But you didn't feel like you couldn't overcome it, and the Pels kept coming back, coming back, coming back. And, Scott, I hate to say this, but right now, C.J. McCollum is going to have an awful summer because he's going to have a hard time closing his eyes and thinking about this series in the last two games where even though he winds up at the end of the day with 21. Uh, yeah, but on, what, 22 shots? I mean, that's not efficient. Dude, that's not efficient. He, if he does anything in the second half, I think at one point he was 0 for 5, which was 6 for 7 before he finally made one and then he missed the next four. If he does anything in that game five, whenever down six, they steal it. They steal it. He missed wide open looks. They missed free throws. Um, I thought Willie Green had another learning experience. Um, the minutes that Devontae Graham played killed you. I think it's been proven the most effective person right now in Chris Paul is Jose Alvarado. Not to mention the guy hit threes. You just you have to roll with him. I mean, I, I need that guy you know, help off the court because he's played so much. I just, I think you got to do that. But my key is C.J. McCollum, Scott. If he's, he needs a 30-point game. And the thing is, he has a 30-point game. It's there. We just talked about it in game five. He finished with 21 points. And all I remember is the missed shots. Like, the amount of missed shots he had. He missed 15 Three, shots. Two. He missed seven threes. Dude. He only missed one free I mean, throw, but it was like at a crucial time, and it, he's missed some right, others in this but, series. And it, it's no, and, look, and he has God, he hasn't played well by his standards. Fouls. You know, and that's what I'm saying. Like I, I'm looking at Game Five, and yes, the storyline is Mitchell Bridges. Yes, it's the sun showing up. Yes, it's the crowd. I would make the case and argument the storyline of Game Five is the Pels blew it. Well, I mean, well that, that's that's from a Pelican standpoint. You know, I'm sure Phoenix feels the same way in some of the. No, it's like I, I know, but what I mean by that is they didn't they didn't play at all to their capabilities and what they have played in in the four previous games. They, even the two that they lost previously to that guys, I they didn't. And I'm not saying that to be a Debbie Downer discouraging. I'm almost actually saying that to be a positive that you literally didn't do anything that you had done that had helped you be successful, and you know. B.I. didn't seem impactful. C.J. didn't seem impactful. Jonas showed up too late. You have to have those big three to play now. That said, that's what I said going into the game on Tuesday, Scott, is that the confidence level that Pels fans have and the team has is fine. But understand what the Pelicans have had to do to get that in those two wins. Those three guys have got to play great. You have to have performances off the bench. You have to defend your butt off. And they have to miss shots. That's everything that has to happen for you to beat the number one seed without Devin Booker. With Devin Booker, you have to do it even more. So I, I think there's a, a case of realism to go with all of this here as well, you know. But you have an opportunity at the time. It's just there's a lot the Pels have to do 
in order to compete with the number one seed. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Gus Cattengill has been our guest doing the Pro Nola segment one day early this week. Uh, Lynn Burton will be filling in for me tomorrow morning, and uh, he'll have plenty to talk about with you guys between draft and Pell's Game 6 tonight. That's going to do it for the Pro Nola segment with our guy Gus Cattengill, host of the Sports Hangover on ESPN 100.3 New Orleans, flagship of the Pelicans. Uh, noon to three weekdays at GCAT underscore one seven at GKATT underscore one seven. Give him a follow on Twitter. Gus, always appreciate you taking the time, man. Thanks for coming on a day early this week and uh, enjoy all the content you're going to get to feast on on your show come uh, come tomorrow on Friday and today for that matter, but certainly tomorrow. Always a pleasure. And here's to the Saints not making oh Friday God. morning a miserable day Don't for all do of it. us. No, come on, come on. <laughs> All the best, man. Appreciate it. For sure, buddy. All right. Stay tuned. Uh, the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show coming up. Uh, Gerald Broussard going to join me for his segment. Uh, big event happening in Lafayette today. A great thing to do before the game and the draft tonight. Great cause, great prizes, all kind of greatness. We'll have open phone lines after that as well. Hit on the rest of the NBA playoffs. Raging Cajun softball from last night. A look ahead to the Diamond Sports this weekend. All that and more coming your way. Don't go anywhere. This is the Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Now watch